Welcome to the Marketing Plan Podcast, where you'll find expert marketing advice for business owners and marketers who want real results. We bring you industry experts to give you advice on how to create more buzz around your brand. So buckle up and turn up the volume, because here comes our host, Sherry Benelli. We're going to take on the world. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Benelli, and today we are excited to have marketing guru, John Jance, with us. John is a marketing consultant, a speaker, and a best-selling author. He has written the Duct Tape Marketing, the Referral Engine, and he has a new book out called The Ultimate Marketing Engine, and we're going to talk a lot about that book today, some of the strategies that he has come up with to help marketers like us help clients grow their businesses. So welcome, John. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Sherry. So I always like to start out the podcast by asking kind of a fun question, kind of a little difficult question. (laughs) So when it comes to books, do you prefer electronic books or (laughs) physical books? I have a lot of both. I prefer actually physical books when I'm reading a book that that I want to enjoy. I feel like it's an analog um, activity, frankly. Okay. However, I'm very practical in that you know when I travel, I can take 200 books with me, mm-hmm. right? And so I do, you know, I do the Kindle thing quite often. But when there's a book I really want to consume and enjoy, uh, I, I'll tell you a, a little tip that I, especially a business book where I'm really trying to gain some knowledge from it. Um, I actually will listen to the audio version uh, oh. while I read, and I just find that I retain so much more, and I could get through it faster uh, mm-hmm. actually that way. So, uh, I generally, if there's a book I really want to dive into and maybe reread, I'll buy both versions: the audio, audible version as well as uh, a print or Kindle version. Great, great, awesome tip. I kind of, kind of thought you were going to be saying that answer, but I just thought because we both love books so much, I figured I would ask you that question. Yeah. So good, good. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in marketing? I know you've been in the business for a very long time. So just give us a little idea how you got started. Yeah. So I actually have gone past the 30 year mark in owning my own marketing consulting business. And I got into it the same way most people do. I just started, uh, but, you know, no, <laughs> no real plan. I had actually worked for an ad agency for a few years and that kind of gave me the bug to say, I think I can do my own thing. This isn't that hard. Like a lot of people, I went out there and hustled what, you know, whatever work I could get. So I had mm-hmm. big clients, little clients, big projects, little projects. Um, I, I did find that I enjoyed working with small business owners probably more than anything else. But they were really difficult to work with. Uh, they had the same challenges, never the same budgets or even attention spans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, um, it was kind of a moment of clarity where I decided, look, if I'm going to work with small business owners, I have to develop a way where I can walk in and just say, look, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. You know, I don't care what you say you think you need. <laughs> here's right. what we're going to do. Um, and here's what it costs. Um, and that ultimately was the genesis of duct tape marketing, uh, the name. Once I created this system, almost thought of, Thought of it like I was turning marketing into a product. Um, I thought, well, I've got to give it a more producty kind of sounding mm-hmm. name, and that's really where duct tape marketing came from. The term itself seemed to resonate so well with small business owners that eventually it just became the you know it became my website, it became my podcast, became the name of my first book. <laughs> it, it it's ultimately the name of my business uh, now. So it really started though as more of a product name. 
Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So you probably, it sounds like you experience the same challenges that sometimes I experience with small businesses where budget is a concern for a lot of those small businesses, you know, especially in the beginning. I mean, now obviously you're recognized and, you know, people know what they can expect with you and you can charge higher prices. So how did you overcome those low budget local businesses that didn't have a lot of money? How did you overcome those challenges to show that you can really provide that worth? And marketing is something that every business needs. Well, I think the first thing you have to figure out is how are you different? Than everybody else, you know the the term marketing consultant is a very large bucket of people. Um, so uh, unfortunately, the perception is that oh, if you do marketing and they do marketing and they do marketing, well, I just have to figure out which one of you is the cheapest because mm-hmm. we all look the same. And so, creating some key point of difference that 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 makes you almost incomparable in some ways uh, to what you would see as competition is one of the first keys to to raising your prices. Obviously. You get some success and you could start pointing to results. I mean, that's another way, uh, not only to to justify it, but for you to get the posture. Because quite frankly, Sherry, a lot of this whole price issue is in our heads. It's we don't think we deserve it. We can't imagine somebody would pay it. Um, you know, they said they only have X. Well, you know, the next time you go out and I tell people to try this, you know, the next time you go out and somebody says, Hey, how much is that going to cost for you to get that result? Just come up with a number and double it and just see what happens. Uh, because experience tells me that in a lot of cases, if you've done a good job of, of showing how you're different, if they've enjoyed you know, getting to know you and what it might be like to work with you, there might be a number that they can't stomach, but quite often it's a lot higher than we think it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we get caught up in this, well, gosh, if I don't get this client, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> but you know, just start trying it. just start raising your prices. I, as you know, I have a network of independent marketing consultants that, that, you know, license our methodology and um, collaborate quite frankly. And one of the first things we, we were able to quite often convince folks who've already started their business to do is to raise their prices because they, in some ways, they feel like now they have the tools that, you know, make them more confident uh, to go out and do that. But a lot of it's just in our heads. Mm-hmm. No, and and I agree with you too. I mean, and also I think some of it is regionally based. So, yeah. for instance, I would charge a lawyer in California the same amount that I would charge a lawyer in Iowa. And mm-hmm. one of my my brother in law actually runs a branding agency in Chicago, and he's like, "What are you doing, Sherry? In California, they pay way more." Yeah. You know, and I'm like, "God, I didn't even think about that." <laughs> so, I mean, in some cases, that kind of impacts things as well, too. Yeah. No so. Question. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. I think sometimes we discount what we are able to offer people and then we just kind of grab whatever we can get instead of really pricing what we should. So that's great. Those are great tips. Thank you so much. So you have a new book out that's called The Ultimate Marketing Engine. And I'd really like to talk about some of the strategies that you have in that book. I mean, obviously you have a ton of things, so we'll probably go off in different paths, but what prompted you to write another book about marketing? Um, well, so the honest answer that I have to tell people is that my publisher gave me a contract. Okay. Um, so I was on the hook to write another book. Um, actually, if people know my journey, I've uh, this is actually my seventh book. Um, I've written f- six books really to date that are mostly about marketing, some mm-hmm. very deep aspect of marketing. Two years ago, I took a really a side journey for me and wrote a more personal book called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur um, that was 
had nothing to do with marketing. Uh, actually, I knew I would come back and write another marketing book, but I needed that break. Quite frankly, I've written somewhere in the neighborhood of you know two million words on uh, the topic of marketing between my books and blog posts and things of that nature. And so, at the time, two years ago, I didn't feel like I had much more I wanted to say. Um, uh, but I knew I needed to write another book. And my publisher was like, uh, when are you going to write another book? Um, and I signed the contract on March 15th, 2020. I'll just give you a few seconds to think about what we were all doing on oh, March 15th, yeah. 2020, right? Uh, the world was coming to an end or so we thought. Um, and, and so, you know, I was like, gosh, dang, what am I going to write about now? I mean, and nobody wants to read how to market in a time of pandemic, right? <laughs> right? Especially now they don't want to read that. And, and so what, really informed this book was what I started seeing happening with many of my clients. Some people were just in the wrong industry, wrong place, wrong time. I mean, they struggled, but a lot of my clients actually not only survived, they thrived. And the common um, kind of trait that I saw was that in most cases, they, they were very meaningful in the lives of their customers. Their customers didn't want them to fail. They wanted them around. They enjoyed being a customer mm -hmm. of that business. And, you know, I think that it just shone such a bright light to me on something that always, has always really been true, but maybe we've gotten away from a little bit over the last few years. And that is that, you know, the idea of, uh, that we build our business, the ultimate marketing engine is a successful customer. You know, what if we actually focused, you know, more on transformation of mm -hmm. our customers and less on transactions? And that's a great deal of what uh, what I put into this book. And I, you know, while, while a lot of people might fundamentally go, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. I like that. Be customer centric. You know, we all say things like that. Right. We've actually built what I think is a very practical tool that will allow you to actually focus on taking your customers from where they are today to where they want to be, not just focus on fixing today's problem, Yes, we're going to fix today's problem, but we're also going to show you what's possible. We're also going to show you, you know, why you're going to want to be a customer for life mm -hmm. as we kind of guide you on this journey. So the tool that, and we can talk as, as deeply as you want about it, but I call it the customer success track. And it's something that sort of unknowingly we had built for our business and taught people how to do for marketing. And so if you get the book, the good news is I built a companion site. You can get all kinds of resources uh, to go along with the book. So you'll have our complete customer success track for marketing. But my real goal in, in uh, bringing this idea to the world is that I think it's an innovation that pretty much any business can adopt. And if you do, it will not just change your marketing for your business. I think it'll change the entire way you view your customers and the entire way you view your business. So this isn't just for an agency. This is for any company that has like a marketing department. They can use it for any yeah. of their customers. So that's brilliant. So for our audience, this John's just not talking about digital marketing agencies or marketing agencies or branding agencies. He's talking about you, business yeah. owners and marketing people that are working within companies. You can use this to help your customers too. And your, I'm sorry, to help your business grow too. And, you know, I think with your customer success track, one of the strategies I think is to uncover the real problem of your customers. Did you right. want to talk about the other five steps? Yeah. Yeah. So we can, so I started no, step number one is map where your customers are today and where they want to go. And that's where I bring you the whole customer journey conversation. And I also bring you the, uh, <laughs> the idea of the customer success track. In reality, steps two and three should come before one, <laughs> but mm -hmm. step one is really, uh, it's probably the big idea of the book. And, and I hate those books that you find the big idea, like 
in chapter eight. Right. Um, you know, I wanted right. to really say, look, here's what this book's about. In fact, I think sentence two, paragraph two is the ultimate marketing engine is a successful customer. So I really kind of boil it all down in the simplest terms right there. But steps two, um, three, uh, steps two and three are very, uh, very closely related. Step number two is uncover the real problem that your business solves. I love to uh, get, get a reaction from any audience I talk to uh, by starting with uh, this statement. Nobody wants what we sell. <laughs> they want their problem solved. Mm -hmm. um, and if we can link uh, the problem they have, if we can help them understand the problem they have. Um, we can help them understand that we get them first and foremost. Then they'll start to listen to how our solution <laughs> might actually address that problem. But if we don't, if we just are out there saying, here's what we do, and isn't this great, and here's how it works, and we haven't connected that to the problem that they have, uh, then, then it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, an example I like to use all the time is myself. I mean, I essentially sell marketing strategy. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to go get some marketing strategy, strategy yeah. today, right? <laughs> I mean, but they do wake up and say, how come we can't charge what our competitors charge? How come we don't show up on page one on Google when I search for our business? Now, if we can help them understand that we get those problems, and by the way, those are both strategy problems, you know, then they're going to give us the opportunity to connect that back to what it is that we do to help solve that problem. So that's, uh, you know, that's a very big chapter around this idea of differentiating your business, of attracting the, you know, the right customer uh, to your business. But it really all starts with, with understanding, you know, the pain that they're in, and. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that we've done it for years, Sherry, is that we interview our customers' customers. Uh, they know way better than you do. I, I used to start by asking business owners in like a discovery call or something, you know, what is it that differentiates your business? Well, they have no idea. No. They, most of the time, right? No. But their customers do. And it's usually not the big, sexy thing. You know, it's usually some little thing that you do that. Nobody else does. They don't mm -hmm. get that from. Uh, another great example I love to use, in, and I think it's in the book, um, is, is a tree service that we had as a client years ago. And we interviewed their customers and their customers all said, they show up when they say they're going to, and they clean up the job site. <laughs> well, that's <no>. important. <laughs> well, here's the thing is we also looked at all of their reviews and they said the same thing. And he, so here are your, your five-star customers <laughs> um, are going voluntarily to Google and writing a review about the problem that you solve for them. You ought to be listening <laughs> because yeah. that's what they're not getting from the other people that serve them. And when we, when we talk about problems, we're usually talking about it in the context of what we're not getting from a competitor or somebody else who you know comes into the home or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, using their actual words as your core point of differentiation and then building that into a strategy, having an on-time guarantee, having a, you know, a 27 point, you know, clean up the job site checklist that you share in your marketing is how you make that problem solving, you know, real and more than words. Um, so really, if you're not talking to your customers, if you're not reading over and pouring over every word of the reviews uh, that you're getting, then you probably don't understand the real problem that you solve. That's awesome. No, that's amazing. And and I agree with you. I think that that most people don't really understand what their business what their customers' problems are and how they are different from their competitors. I 100% agree with you. Yep. And I do agree that reviews are probably one of the best ways to find not only your good points but also yeah. your weaknesses too. Yeah. And your competitors. 
I mean, yeah. what people are saying good and bad about your competitors can maybe be some things that you exploit. Absolutely. Yep. There's definitely ways to do that. Absolutely. That's awesome. And so as far as like scaling, you talk about scaling your customers by serving their entire ecosystem. What yeah. does that mean? Okay. Can you explain so, so that a you, little bit? You, you bet. I jumped so, to five. Yeah. I was going to say, in case, <laughs> in case you're keeping score at home, we're now on step five. Um, but <laughs> essentially that entire chapter um, is about referrals. Okay. Um, you know, growing and scaling your business with people who already trust you is a far more profitable way to build a business than going out every day and trying to get somebody new to trust you. So in that, I present seven different approaches to generating referrals, generating more business with your existing customers, retaining your customers for, for much longer, um, serving the other people that serve them, building strategic partner networks, creating your own marketing or networking club as ways to you know, really think in terms of, you know, you're already working with an ideal customer, hopefully. Mm-hmm. That ideal customer probably also knows other ideal customers because that's just how the world works. Right. Um, that, you know, that you that person going to you and saying, "Oh, you need to hire Sherry. She's great." You know, don't even think about it. I mean, you you move through the customer journey and the sales cycle so much faster. You know, by doing that, probably uh, somebody comes to you by way of referral. Probably price has gone down the list because mm-hmm. risk has been removed in a lot of ways, right? And so the idea that I might pay you a premium feels a little safer to me because you referred. There's just so many reasons to make that. You know, once you've once you understand who makes an ideal customer. Customer. Once you understand how you're different, the problem you really solve, um, you know, scaling your business by focusing really all of your attention on your existing customers, helping uh, create a customer success track so that you retain them forever, um, is really what this book's all about. It's it's a you know it's frankly a great big strategy book that has a workshop wrapped inside of it. Nice, nice. So now I know a lot of people talk about referrals, and I would say that a lot of people are scared off by asking for referrals. And I don't think you really necessarily say, ask a client or a customer for a referral. You have different strategies for that, right? It's not just, Hey, do, do you have like five businesses in mind? Yeah. Not, not uh, that's yeah. silly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, obviously that's the way that so many people do it. And that's what right. kind of scares them off because frankly um, it's, it's not done in the context of when and how and why somebody would do that, or even if they even agreed to do that. So yes, asking is key. But how and when you ask is, is probably more important. One of the strategies I've used for years, I've taught hundreds of people, is that make it part of your sales process. When you're actually still talking about a deal or a proposal that you're going to do with somebody, add in there uh, a line like, we know you're going to be so thrilled with what we agreed upon today that at the end of 90 days, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make sure you're thrilled. And then I'm going to ask you to, to introduce this idea to, to five other people who need to get this awesome result as well. Mm-hmm. Now, typically at that point, you've basically said, I know you're going to be thrilled. I'm going to make sure you're thrilled. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to share this value with others. At 100% of the people will say, okay, yes. At that moment, now you have to make sure they're thrilled. You have to yeah. have a process to go back and, and, and you know review the results and to collect those names. But they've essentially agreed ahead of time that they will be a, a referral partner. Obviously, having that expectation uh, set in place, uh, having place ways for you to stay top of mind, uh, taking your your customers who do already refer business to you and and 
kind of creating a whole club for them, uh, you know, champion events for them, doing something special for them. These are all the ways that that you really amp up your referability, but also give people the opportunity. I mean, let's face it, we're all we all. I think we all want to refer business. We all want to talk about businesses that surprise us mm-hmm. that exceed our expectations. But but our our job as the, the you know, business owner is to make it easy for people to do that <laughs> is right. to, you know, give them to, you know, give them tangible tools to do that. Make sure that, that, that you're there when, you know, in, in their mind, when that friend says, do you know anybody who, you know, can help me with X? And so these, it just has to be intentional process. Most businesses today actually get some, if not the majority of their business by some form of word of mouth or referrals, but it's all accidental. Uh, right. And what I suggest is there are some ways to be very intentional and uh, really proactive uh, about making referral generation maybe close to 100% of your new business. Very smart. Well, I know there are studies, especially by Bright Local, and I don't know the latest statistics where you know a high percentage of people, if you just ask them for a review, <laughs> they'll leave it. And I'm assuming it's probably the same way with regard to referrals, especially if they already trust you and they're already happy with the work that you've done. So it probably follows those same principles. It really does. I mean, obviously some industries, you know, are, I mean, there are businesses, people don't like to talk about the fact that they actually use or do, you know, not everybody says, oh, you should see my therapist or my tax Um, attorney because (laughs) I like have problems with the IRS or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so there actually are some strategies, quite frankly, to, uh, to, to make that easier uh, for people as well. So in those instances, uh, what that business needs to do is not rely on somebody saying, okay, you should use this person, but actually putting tools in their hands, uh, giving them opportunities to bring people to events, um, you know, where it's, it's sort of an implied referral, but mm-hmm. it's really more of an introduction. Got it. Okay. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So one of the things that I know I think is important. And I know a lot of people talk about, but they don't actually do is think about like buyer personas and mm-hmm. customer journeys. Would yeah. you mind talking a little bit about how important those two strategies are? So I'll tie um, them into a couple steps. So step number three in the book is narrow your focus to the top 20% of your ideal customers. That's essentially what I'm saying is to really understand not just buyer personas. I think sometimes buyer personas can be a little limiting because they do focus so much on this industry or this job title or the, like all those people are alike. <laughs> you know, anybody right. who does this job in this industry, you know, it has exactly the same wants, needs, cares, you know, behaviors, beliefs. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges with that thinking in many okay. cases. And so one of the things that exercises that I put people through in the book is to, to definitely help them understand who makes an ideal customer um, is we actually have them rank their customers by profitability. Okay. And that's not necessarily always revenue. Sometimes big customers are less profitable. Uh, but what we know about generally speaking about profitable customers is that they probably had the right problem. You probably were a match for providing that solution. You were a good fit. The way you worked, your processes, you know, all worked. Then we'll throw in a bonus. Take that group and find and find those that already refer business to you or, you know, at least talk about you or evangelize your business. Figure out the common characteristics in in any group of people that meet, you know, that are profitable and also refer and you've probably got a very good profile of who you should go after. Now, I also have, um, you know, a lot of times that's 
just going to define kind of the demographics, you know, of, of the business. But where it gets really magical is when you can start to understand their behaviors. Okay. So I, I have three buckets. Every business needs to understand, you know, the attributes or behaviors somebody must have. I mean, if you're a remodeling contractor, somebody must have a home, mm-hmm. right? Or they must live in a geography. But unfortunately, that's where so many people stop. Um, and so one of the things, if you stay in business for any amount of time at all, is you'll realize that there are certain things that are nice to have as well. So sticking with my remodeling contractor, um, Generally speaking, remodeling contractors will tell you it's nice to have dual income families, you know, that they're remodeling for. They entertain a lot. They don't have time to do it themselves. You know, they really, you know, they, they, and they have the income to, you know, to get somebody else to do the work. It's not a deal killer if they don't, but it's a nice to have. You start recognizing. And then the third bucket is, is really what I call ideal. You know, what are some of the attributes, you know, of that homeowner that, that you've learned over time? Like, they have a certain sense of style or they have a certain hands-on or hands-off approach. I mean, there's things that you, you start to learn. And I'll tell you another um, example for us in my business, you know, I learned long ago that, that a small business that was also involved in their community, very involved in their industry, you know, served on like the, the chapter of their industry, you know, committees or something. What we found is that was a good marker of of a couple of things that they were in it for the long haul, um, and that they believed that that you know investing in their business was important because mm-hmm. marketing at its best is an investment. Um, most business owners try to see it as a cost, and so if we can find that that mar- that business owner who sees it as an investment, that strategy makes sense to them, that you know the long game you know makes sense to them. So, so we were able to understand the you know the demographics, like what they must have. Um, but we were able to also go to this this idea of we could identify people that were active in their community. We could identify people that served on boards. So not only was it a great indicator of behavior, mm-hmm. it was something we could find. We could you know we could target um, right. those people based on that behavior so uh, that's when i talk about you know narrowing your focus it's not just the kind of the persona conversation i'm trying to i'm trying to actually bring an element to it that would suggest that looking at your current client base today there's a percentage of them you should not be doing business with uh, first off right. <laughs> there is a percentage of folks that maybe in the middle are actually generating some business but what's the loss in opportunity uh, by not focusing, you know, narrowing your focus to who you can truly deliver value to? Because if you get really good at understanding that group, you get good at recognizing, you know, that group, you deliver value. So they're happy, they're profitable, they refer you. That right. group is also some percentage of that group would like to do 10 times as much business with you. Um, if you then focused your attention on figuring out what's the next stage for them or what's the next level of value. And, and even some smaller percent might, might do a hundred times more business with you. So, you know, we get so, it's so tempting to chase after today's dollar. Somebody showed up and said, yeah, I'll give you a thousand dollars for that. I don't really know how to do that. That's not really what we do, but Hey, they got money. They're here today. Right. Um, and I think we, we greatly overestimate the value of that money and greatly underestimate the cost of not serving a narrow focus. Got it. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't, and that's a really interesting angle. I don't think a lot of people think about that. So I think that's a really interesting perspective 
So, and it's, and, and it's hard too, because, you know, what I'm essentially telling people is stop taking certain business. And if yeah. you're out there going, not sure I got it all together yet, you mm-hmm. know, that may feel really hard. Yeah. And, and I know it's hard for some people to turn that business down. And right, I know there's right. are some customers that quite frankly, you need to fire or yes. you need yeah. to get rid of. And I've had to do that. John, you probably had to do that, right? You bet. You bet. You bet. And so there are some customers that literally will drag you down. Yeah. And yeah. so finding that right mix or that right match and is perfect. I mean, you need to be able to do that. That's well, and, and just to put a positive spin on it. We've probably all had clients who were like, oh, if I could just find five more like that, life, oh, yeah. would, life would be great. Right. And so I think that's really key to pay attention to that, you know, because the other thing that we haven't even talked about is the cost of stress, the cost of like, oh my God, they're calling me again. I mean, you, you know, with that client that you no, should No, I never right? had a client right. like that. Never, never and had so, them call me at seven o'clock at night. Never. But, but I think a lot of times we, we just, you know, because you, if you've had that experience where you finally just said, you know, good riddance, you know, and then it's like this, this, you know, you didn't realize the, you didn't realize the amount of drag, you know, mm-hmm. that you were carrying until it got lifted off your shoulders. No, and that that's hundred percent true. And I think yeah. a lot of a lot of people listening are business owners, and they do feel that pressure all the time of having to, you know, always be on and always be waiting for that phone to ring or that email to come through. That's right. Last minute, urgent has to be done, and those clients and customers will drag you down if you let them. So, right. yep. good advice. Good advice. So, to we'll talk a little bit more about because I know as a search engine optimization gal, which is my thing. Content is really important to me. And for your, from your perspective, how do you think businesses and marketers should be using content as a marketing strategy? Well, the um, <clears throat> funny side note, um, you know, Brian Dean, probably Backlinko, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen yeah. this. Well, Love this stuff. Uh, but Buzz Sumo just named him the number one content marketer in the world. So he is essentially an SEO person. So what yep. does that tell you, <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the yeah. relationship between search engine optimization and and content is you know inseparable. Um, you really can't have one without the other. I know there are people out there that just believe SEO is just like magic that you know you just go go to my website and SEO it. Uh, if there's nothing there, there's nothing to SEO. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and so you know, content is certainly from a practical SEO standpoint is really what fuels it. Uh, but it's it's really it's really air, I think, um, you know, when it comes to marketing in general, because um, we as consumers, you know, the way the customer journey has changed is we don't just say, oh, I heard so-and-so is in this business. I think I'll call them. I mean, we go to the web, we read some content, we download a white paper, we may decide that there's a case study that allows us to go, oh yeah, okay. Uh, this person does seem what they need, uh, seem to know what they're talking about. Now I'm going to call them. Um, and I think that, that you know, lacking all of that, you know, we're never really going to get on the customer journey at an early enough stage, you know, because mm-hmm. they will have found somebody else who was providing value, who was educating them, who was answering the questions that they have, you know, at each stage of the journey. So whatever form it takes, you know, I think we have to realize that we need, we need problem solving. We need people to understand that we get, you know, what their challenges are. We need content that, that allows them to kind of dip their toe in the water and start saying, oh, uh, uh, let's look here, you know, without making much of a commitment, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I don't even have to give you my email address, you know, but I can start deciding if I like uh, what I see. And then certainly if we're going to, 
spend any time at all, you know, we're going to want to see some trust signals. We're going to want to see content that we think is deep. We're going to want to see social proof. We're going to want to see, you know, other people, you know, sharing your content. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, most people think the content is the purpose of content is to get somebody to buy. Certainly it plays a great part or great role in all the stages of the customer journey to that point. But I think I've, I think where the real miss for a lot of folks is is we need onboarding content. We need content that communicates, you know, what's next. We need content that teaches uh, people what else we can do for them. We need even content plays a role in in referral generation uh, when you you know go as deep as as I do into that topic. So, content powers every stage of the customer journey, um, and it really should be seen as the voice of strategy and not just as another tactic. Yeah. So you recommend that no matter what type of company you have, content needs to be part of their strategy, right? Yeah. And not just another blog post. I mean, right. it needs to actually be focused. Like what's the intent? Every Anytime you start to think about creating a video or a social post or a blog post, you should be at least asking, you know, what what's the intention for this content? What do I want somebody to do? What questions or objectives am I answering, you know, with this content rather mm-hmm. than just saying, oh, it's Monday, I better write another blog post. Right, exactly. And I know that with the way Google's algorithm is changing, there's really going to be even more of a push for quality content that kind of leads customers down a path of discovery. You know, everything, there's going to be more of a push for original content, original photos, everything like that. So, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, whatever they calling it today, you know, quality (laughs) score, you know, is going to engagement's going to play a big role in what they call quality. Uh, So it's not, it's the shares, it's the, you know, it's the clicks inside of it. It's the dwell time. I mean, those are all things that they're going to play a big role in the helping them determine what quality means. Nope. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you. hundred percent agree with you. Now, another thing you talk about in your book is the marketing hourglass. Yeah. And so I think that's a very interesting idea. Can you tell us a little bit about the various stages yeah. of the hourglass and yeah. why they're important? Sure. So, so let's unpack what it is first. If you think about what I'm really saying is this is my answer to a well-worn marketing concept called the marketing funnel. The idea is you get a bunch of people at the top, squeeze a few out mm-hmm. while all the marketing's done. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, the top of the hourglass shape is if you look at it, Sort of like, right. Uh, right. right. And, right. and we do have to get some percentage of the market out there to know about us and, and a smaller percentage to realize they're an ideal customer. But the objection I have is, is for many people, that's kind of where it stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the real opportunity, as I've implied at least a couple of times today, is after somebody becomes a customer to, to do more with them, to retain them for a much longer times, to actually turn them into referral sources. And that that's really uh, the job of marketing as well. So the My Marketing Hourglass then has seven stages and they are no like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. And what my contention is those, I've intentionally chosen those names because I think that they are behaviors that we all want to participate in with the businesses that we do business with. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have a problem, we need to know who's out there, <laughs> who can solve that. And then the first thing we do is we kind of what I people might call the smell test. You know, we go to their website, we go, eh, is that, was that built in the eighties? Uh, you know, did it load fast? Uh, do I, you know, do they seem to be talking about me? We make that snap decision. We want to like them right. before we're going to make any move. And then uh, as I 
mentioned earlier, then we're going to start saying, okay, who else likes them? Or, you know, who else have they got a result for? Can they prove that they're, you know, somebody that's an authority uh, in this space? We, we want to develop a level of trust before we really expend any time. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know about you, but I like it when I can try what it might be like to work with somebody. Um, and, and, and that's not just a low cost, you know, 30 day software trial. I mean, think about it. When somebody picks up the phone and calls a business, they may not think let's try them out, but that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what are we as marketers doing to intentionally make sure that every time somebody is trying our business, it's a good experience. And then of course, I think we all like to buy. We've all been disappointed when when we've made purchases. And so, you know, what are we doing to make sure as marketers that that experience, what's our transaction look like? Have you even looked at what your website looks like lately when somebody's trying to, you know, buy from you? Um, what's the onboarding look like? What's the uh, communication process looks like, look like? Um, I mean, I think we we all want to have that buying, you know, that that buying experience stay high. And then, you know, most of us, once we find somebody that meets our needs, I mean, we you, you get a dentist you like, you don't think, oh, it's time to get my teeth cleaned. I think I'll go out and price shop. Shop around. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, we want that convenience. Hey, check that one off the box. I don't have to mess with that anymore. I just go right back to them again. And then I think as human beings, we're wired to, to refer people. I think we're wired to talk about experiences and businesses that exceed our expectations. So our job really, I think, as businesses is to guide that behavior. I mean, it's no longer about creating demand in this linear you know, sort of funnel path. It's really more about guiding the journey, guiding these behaviors. Um, and I think that that you can build lots of processes. You can build lots of campaigns. Um, you can certainly use content, you know, for each of guiding people for each of those stages. Because one of the things, you, you know, the the way in which somebody goes through a journey, the way in which somebody finds a business, you know, like ours, uh, a lot of those touch points are out of our control uh, yeah, today. I mean, totally. quite often people have made a decision about a product or a service or a professional they're going to engage before we even know that they're Absolutely. on that journey. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, our job really then is to just intentionally look at each of those stages, understand the questions and objectives somebody might have as they move through those stages, and then do the best we can at building processes and campaigns and content that really addresses what we think those questions are. Got it. No, that's, that's very interesting. It, it, and it totally makes sense. I mean, you're right. The funnel kind of stops abruptly. Yeah. So no, I like that strategy. I think that's very unique. Absolutely. That's very cool. So can you think of any other marketing tips that, you know, people should be aware of or any other brilliant ideas that you have <laughs> on the top, off the top of your head? Oh, haven't, haven't, it hasn't everything I've said been brilliant. Today? It's all been brilliant. <laughs> I'm just trying to think if there's any, anything else that you can think of that, that might be very interesting to people before we kind of wrap things up today. Cause I'm telling you, this is, I love everything that you talk about, John. I really do. I mean, you are probably one of the most inspirational marketing people that I know, and I respect you so much. So everything you say is awesome. So I just was wondering if you had any last minute advice. You know, the problem is, as you can tell, and as your listeners can tell, I just lay it all on the table. I don't hold (laughs) anything back. So, you know, a lot of times people, a very common journalist question is, is there anything I should have asked that, you know, that I didn't. And I'm like, well, I just, I just don't, I just show up and say it all. So I can't, I can't think of anything you should have asked. Um, okay. How about let's tell people where they can find out more about the book. 
there you go, John. How can people find out more about the book? So, so there is a website for just uh, the book itself called theultimatemarketingengine.com, just like the, the title of the book. And you can get a couple of free chapters there if you want just to, to dive in a little bit before you make a purchase. Obviously, you can all the ways that you purchase books are uh, listed there as well. And if you just want to find out more about what I've been doing the last couple of decades, uh, you can just stop on by uh, ducttapemarketing.com. And that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. Awesome. That's great. And I do have one last one last question that I like to ask people before we leave. I think that if you don't make mistakes, you're not doing some things right. You need to make mistakes in order to learn. Can you give us an example of either a business mistake or a marketing mistake that you've made that you think our audience can learn from? Sure. Um, I'm going to tease this out. Um, okay. My whole idea of narrowing your focus to the top 20% of your ideal customers. Um, I, I believe that I believe it's our duty to learn who those are and and really understand that as marketers, as businesses, we ultimately get to choose who we want to work with. And there is a story in the book about um, me being invited to uh, testify before a grand jury years and years ago. Um, one of my clients actually, uh, one of my clients actually went to jail. Um, oh. And uh, so they called in everybody. They were investigating that person. They called in everybody who had done business with him. Fortunately, I didn't have anything get to say to them. So I went on my way, but it, it really kind of, I, I mean, I knew deep in my heart, um, I wasn't doing anything illegal, but I was pretty sure they were, wow. um, and, but you know, I still chose to work with them. And I thought, you know, how did I get here? And I think that that's one of the challenges we, we sometimes can be knocked off course. We sometimes can be blinded by, Hey, I'm going to chase this business. You know, yeah, I don't like that person, but whatever mm-hmm. they pay me, you know? And I, I just think, I think that, uh, you get yourself in bad situations, you know, by doing that in one way or another. And I, th- I think that once you realize that you get to choose, it's, it's your obligation to figure out, you know, who you can bring value to. I, I think that uh, this idea of narrowing your focus will get pretty easy. Awesome. No, that's great advice. I love it. Thank you so much. And we're going to put every um, contact information that John has just given us on the, on the show notes page. And so you'll be able to reach out to him and connect with him and see his wonderful smiling face as well as this video. So thank you so much for joining us today, today, John. I really thank, I'm so thankful you could be here. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. My pleasure. A lot of fun. All right. Thanks. And you'll, we'll see you again for another episode. Thank you everyone.